continue on in Hebrews in our series, Jesus Is. And as you guys know, before we took a break, we parked in Hebrews 11 for uh, the last six weeks. So tonight is week seven, and we're going to close it out. We've been walking verse by verse through the book of Hebrews, seeing how Jesus is uh, king, how he is better than than everything else uh, that we come across that might uh, try to trick us into thinking that it's better than than Christ as Lord. So we're going to continue on tonight as we uh, finish out chapter 11. And just a little bit of context, since it's been a while since we gathered. Uh, remember, the Hebrews, those receiving this letter, they are struggling through persecution. Uh, they had once had a faith that was strong, that was bold, that made them become persecuted for the sake of Christ. And now they're wanting to kind of um, back off a little bit. They became um, a stagnant. And now they are backing all the way off to where the author is writing them and saying, listen, keep on moving in the same direction. Keep on keeping on. You guys remember your faith. And in order to, to convince them of how, how bold their faith was and how it should be, he spends the entire chapter of chapter 11 talking about these Old Testament saints, these Old Testament heroes. And he started chronologically, he started way back uh, with, with Adam and He went into Noah and Enoch and those guys, Abraham, Moses. Uh, Now we end with him rifling off a list of a few more saints and and then closing out this chapter. And so we've talked about faith in about as many ways as you can over the last couple months. But tonight, uh, my prayer is that we would analyze our own hearts and would ask ourselves this. Is my faith, as a believer, it's going to sound a little silly because you would assume, but is my faith truly gospel-centered, meaning we all have faith, all right? But is it really in Christ, in his purpose, in his mission? Is our faith commanding us to abide in him? Or is our faith still about what we want, our plans, our desires, our dreams, our hopes? Because I'll tell you what, we go to any church in this town, in this country, Uh, probably in this world, and you'll find a whole bunch of people, maybe even in this room tonight, are deceived in thinking that faith in and of itself is the powerful thing. But as we know, it's faith in Christ uh, that is the power. And so a whole bunch of people, I believe, and I, I think I've been in this boat myself, are deceived into thinking just because I profess the name of Christ, I can have faith in things and it'll always be good. Faith isn't always good if it's in the wrong things. And some of us are still chasing after the wrong things. And that's why we're not seeing the power and the presence of God in our lives. So tonight, we're going to find out how gospel-centered, how Jesus-centric our faith is. And these Old Testament heroes, we're going to find out even their faith before the Messiah came was centered on Jesus. So let's jump on in. First chunk will be Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 38, and we'll park after that, and then we'll hit verse 39 and verse 40 to close out the chapter. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to flip open. We'll start in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. A little Greek word here that we have there, it's actually just an etc., and so that's why you see the dashes there. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, 
became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, let me mention this. Even in the Greek here, we still follow, a lot of times you'll see in the New Testament, Old Testament, Hebrew, um, poetic uh, structures. And so, for instance, in English, you and I, if we write something, usually the best stuff is at the end. In Hebrew poems, a lot of times you'll find that the climax is actually in the middle. And so if you follow that here, you'll see when we start talking about women receiving their dead, uh, receiving back their dead by resurrection, now we're getting into like the powerful stuff here. So just something to keep in mind. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All right, that's a big old chunk we're going to cover here. And the first thing we see is that faith looks like Jesus. Now that might not make sense when I first say it, but hopefully by the end of this it will. I want to, like I often do, I want to park on this first point for a while because this sets up, uh, this sets up everything and it's packed full of good stuff. And so faith looks like Jesus. The outline that we have here in verse 32 is talking about, hey, a whole bunch. Now we've got a whole bunch more stories of faith. So the guys that you all know, Moses and Abraham, Great stories of faith, but we've got some guys that you're unfamiliar with, the Jephthahs, the Baraks. Man, these are, these are guys who were in war. These are guys who, who overcame lots of awesome stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a whole bunch of names. And then verses 33 through 35, it's saying, and they did a whole bunch of crazy things through faith. Whole bunch of crazy stuff. Now, I'll note here, but we'll see in a bit, that the things they did were in relation to God's will for them at that time. Okay, so we can't just see all of this stuff about being mighty in war and whatnot and assume it's always the same now. Because remember, they were conquering the promised land. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on where these specific instances of faith were directly related to. Now, and then after verse 35, he's talking about all of the affliction, all of the bad stuff that starts happening to these people saying, hey, their faith led them into victory, but it also led them to be mistreated and a whole bunch of junk happened to them. And this isn't very fun. And so the outline gives us this big up and down of faith. And what I think it does for most of us is it shatters our view of faith. It does. And it w this past weekend, uh, when Tara and I, we went to Memphis, had a wonderful time, and we were looking forward to this trip. We had a few days off, and we were just going to go to the bowl game. As you guys know, that turned out wonderfully. And, um, and one of the things I was most excited for was the trip there and back, because we dropped Silas off at Grandma and Grandpa's, and we hadn't been alone to be able to talk and have a normal conversation in two years, and all God's parents know know what's going on with that. And, and so we were excited because when Tara and I got married seven years ago, we had, when we would go on a road trip, we had the best conversations. Now, there's one thing to sit around the dinner table, have a conversation, and late at night have a conversation. But when you're on the road and it's just you two and there's nothing else and you can't listen to the same songs 10 million times in a row, like you've got to talk to each other. And we never ran out of stuff to talk about. Like we always had good stuff to talk about. And if we didn't, then we would make good stuff to talk about. I remember that, and, and she does too, and we were excited about it. And so when we jumped in and we start heading on this nine, ten-hour journey, 
And we weren't even to like Heston and Newton. And we had talked about everything we could think of. Like we had nothing else. We had this whole trip. I mean, she slept for part of it. Um, we talked about the same things we talked about before. We talked about everything we could think of. We didn't have anything to talk about. It was lame, and I could tell even after like 30 minutes of driving that she was disappointed, and I was disappointed. And every so often, like every five, ten minutes, we'd, we'd be looking at each other, what do you want to talk about now? What do you want to talk about now? And we just figured that it was going to be just like it was back in the day. And on the way home, it was the same way. And we found ourselves the last two hours, we were listening to some podcast of old Western stories, Ronicky Dunes, and something like, I don't even know. It's like, I did not picture that. Like that, how do you go from amazing, intimate conversation to Ronicky Dunes, chapter four, <laughs> old Western podcast? That's as good as it gets. And I felt, I think we would all, I felt guilty. Like, man, maybe our relationship stinks. Maybe, like, it's gotten worse or something. But we had a conversation, the only good conversation that came out. They said, you know what? This is just life right now. This is what life looks like when you have a two-year-old who demands your attention, and when he goes to sleep, you talk about whatever you got to talk about, and then, and then you go on. Like, I understand when I was young, and we were dating, and we would be in a restaurant, and we'd see that old couple, you could tell they've been together for like 100 years, and they don't say a word to each other, and they're just eating their food, and they just look out separate windows. Like, they don't even look out the same window anymore, and you're just like, I don't want to be like that. And now I'm like, I get that. I get that. Because we're seven years in and we run out of stuff, but we just enjoy being together and we had a great time and it was a blast. And you could sit and feel guilty about how it looks different now, or you could just understand that as people grow together, things look different. And so when we look at all these verses, we think, man, this kind of shatters my view and my picture of faith because we all have a picture of faith. And you say, I don't know if it shatters my picture. Listen, some of us, when we talk about faith, we only think about victory. We think about victorious. Man, we're going to be overcoming sin. We're going to be overcoming everything. And that's true. That's true. There's a whole bunch of victory associated with faith in Jesus. But guess what? According to the world, these last couple of verses, these old boys were failures. Walking around with skins on them. Like no one looked at them and said, you're victorious. No, you were sawn in two. So how do you explain those verses? Because faith... Faith, yeah, it had the victorious stuff, but it also had what looked like failures, according to the world. Some people say, well, when I think of faith, I think of healing. And I got some Pentecostal friends that tell me, like, if you got enough faith, you will experience physical healing on earth. Like, you will, with enough faith, you will, to the point where there's little ladies feeling horrible in the hospital bed because they just don't have enough faith. They haven't been healed yet. And yet, not only did faith not heal some of these old boys, but faith actually led them to be afflicted. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? What does your picture of faith look like? Because when you become a believer, we start to get comfortable with what we think faith in our lives look like. We start to give God access to certain parts of our lives, and we have what we know of faith in that area. Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to let God make me uncomfortable uh, in social situations. And so you go year after year, and you, you, you have faith in those, but you don't let God touch your finances, right? Or maybe it's vice versa. It's different for each one of us, but we all have a picture of faith. And your picture of faith is always directly related to your comfort zones, 
And we have to check ourselves to see if this picture of faith is actually biblical. Because some of us, God's wanting us to walk in faith in certain areas of our lives, and we've just closed them off. That's why it blows the minds of college students if God says, hey, you know what, maybe I want you to stop going to college and I want you to do something else. And they're like, this, is, this has been my path, my direction. My parents said, you're going to college, and I said, I'm going to college, and I'm in it, and I can't believe, no way, like, I'm just, that's off limits. Like, I wouldn't do that. That's why it's crazy when the church, when you see people who have raised kids and now they're middle-aged and, and they've had their plan and they had their 2.5 children and their white picket fence and all of a sudden they come and say, Pastor, I don't know what to do because there's this, there's this thing that's happened and now there's a situation and we might, we, like it seems like maybe God's asking us to adopt this child. But our kids are getting grown now. We wouldn't, this was not in the plan. The retired couple, who had a plan for what it would look like, and now God's having them serve in a way that was completely different than what they expected. Have you closed off certain areas? Are you comfortable with faith in certain areas, but just don't want it in other areas? God's saying, I want to break through that. It's not just about how much faith you have. It's letting faith in every area of your life. And what it looks like is going to change as you get older, and there's always going to be a step of faith that's bigger than the last. but you know that's why we got to make sure our faith isn't centered on ourselves and our own goals and our own dreams. Because you'll notice in here, all these old boys with their stories of faith, you notice how you don't see any, well, they placed their faith in Jesus, and then after that, they looked at, like, what do they want to do with life? And they thought, okay, college would be awesome, and then I want to have a business, and it's going to be really good. I'm going to do this. And, and, and so then I asked God to bless it, and I really had faith that God would bless the things that were in my heart. And, and then you live that life, and you find by the end of it, you never really made an impact for the kingdom. You got all the things you desired, but they weren't the things God desired for you. Notice how those stories didn't make it in there. None of those stories. Only the stories where people gave up their lives and said, you know what, my faith, it can't be faith in myself or my own stuff and just put a little Jesus on it, put a little Messiah coming on it. I gotta actually give my life to him and my faith then has to look like Jesus. It has to look like his life and his death and his resurrection. It has to look like someone who's concerned about his kingdom and not mine. And that means faith is going to look crazy in my life. It's not going to look the way I thought. It's never going to look the way I thought. Because God's plan is so much bigger than my plan, why am I surprised that faith in my life looks now different than I thought it would look? But you know, when you let yourself go to whatever God's prompting you to do, it makes you take crazy steps in directions that you just, I didn't know I'd go this way. Why? Because it looks like Jesus. Going above and beyond, sacrificing in areas, it looks like the gospel. What you place your faith in, especially if that's a person, you naturally start to reflect that. You know what that's like. People who have dated, people who thought, I want this relationship to work, and all of a sudden, you find yourself on the phone at midnight, and you're like, I never would have thought I would be talking to someone about saving our relationship at midnight. You put your faith in them, you start doing goofy things. Mama's like, I'd never go to a jail, but all of a sudden, your 20-year-old's calling you, you're driving eight hours to bail them out somewhere, and you're thinking, I would have never done this, because your faith in someone, it will reflect that person if you keep on following. 
but it changes. These old boys, man, this isn't just about faith. This is about a mature faith. This is old school. This is, this is what happens when you give me two or three weeks to think about new creative ways. We go back about 40 years in technology. So I don't know if, if this is going to work or not, but this is something I thought of 20 minutes ago. We'll see what happens here. Some people learn a little bit different. And I'm not someone who needs to see it, but some people are. So maybe this will help. This might just take a long time. You might just stare at me for a while. So you look at any area of faith in your life, and you'll see yourself somewhere on this scale. Now, keep in mind, I'm just making up this scale, so don't go home and say, boy, this is the scale from the Bible. It's just amazing, but I'm doing this as an illustration to help you. So when you find yourself a baby in Christ, newborn, you're talking a lot of times about basic faith in God, just trust. Like when you are a baby, your faith is about, are you there? Are you real? Well, do I actually, can I trust you? And it's just, it's, it's newborn baby stuff. And now you find yourself growing a little bit. And I want you, as we're walking through this, to see if maybe you're stuck in an area. If you're, a, if you're this is spiritually speaking, obviously. If you're a toddler in Christ, you'll find that a lot of your faith, a lot of your prayers, you go to grow group, come ask your, your leaders, you talk to them about things that are self-centered. Now, they might be God's will, they might be good things, but in general, they don't, they don't revolve around expanding God's kingdom, they revolve around expanding your own kingdom. I just want to know God's will for my life, and, and, and what I can, like, I, I want that job, and I want that career. Again, these are all things that could very well be God's will, but if you find these are the only things that your faith is going into, is consume your own little world. Some of us, I'd say a vast majority of the people in the local church hang out here in toddler world and they don't ever know. And they're frustrated because they're just like, why? I'm not seeing God's power. That's because everything you got faith in is about your own little kingdom and keeping it going and running and sustaining it. But some of us don't ever get pushed out of this. And so we're spiritual toddlers. We're just happy that we're not spiritual babies anymore. And then you grow up a little bit and you start to see a big picture spiritually, you start to get out of your cocoon and you start to see like, man, there's a king, God's kingdom and, and, and I, could be a, I could be a part of this. Like he's given me a spiritual gift and this is bigger than myself. And then you start to go into young adult world and you start to actually take steps. Or you get out into spiritual college and you start to serve people and you start to look for how you can humble yourself and serve others and be a part of this bigger plan, not just knowing about it, because now some of us, we know we've been in teen world, we've come to church and we've heard preachers preach all day long about how this mission is big and it's awesome and this plan is big, and you've heard all about it, but you don't ever take the steps. But when you grow up a little bit, you start taking steps. And then when you become a mature adult, and I'd say, these old boys are in that. Mature adults, they reproduce they expand kingdoms, and it's not about their kingdom. 
It's about wanting the gospel to spread throughout all the earth. All of a sudden, you start to see the things you're asking, the things you're putting your faith in, is that God would use you to the ends of the world, whatever he wants to do, to make disciples, to expand his kingdom. This is your focus. You're not focused on how am I just going to get by this month or what's the next step for me? Am I going to get married? No, like, are people in Asia going to hear about Jesus before I die? God, send me over there. God, I know I lived in this own city for for 40 years. Make me a missionary in Salina until I die. Give me that heart. All of a sudden, you start, your faith is in things that are crazy. They don't have anything to do with you anymore. It's about God and his kingdom. And you can look at any area of your life and you can see it walking through this. I, for me, one of the hardest things for me to really, uh, to, to have a gospel-centered faith in was finances. And I remember when I first got saved, it was, of course, I was a baby, I was a toddler, and it was about God provide for me financially, okay? Provide for, I wouldn't give into the church, I wouldn't give into God, but I just, I need to get through. The bills are crazy. It's all about, man, personal provision, and then I remember when my eyes were open, I started thinking about, man, talk about giving to the church. Like, that is crazy to me. I'm going to give you some of my money. Like, that's, that's crazy. But then I start, to, I start to do it a little bit. I start to give outside of that. I start, to, I start to support things financially. And then you start to see yourself kingdom-minded. And now I start thinking about, <laughs> both corporately I think about, man, it's going to take a huge step of faith. If God's growing this thing and we're going to be in a different location financially, we're all going to have to step up. Personally, we're going to have to step up. But it's about God's kingdom. And if he really wants us to reach 10% of the city, it's going, to take, it's going to take some serious faith. And personally, Tara and I, man, right now we've kind of taken a dip financially, struggling just a little bit. Holidays, you know, you pay for a bunch of extra stuff. But yet we feel like God's saying, you need to support some church planners in another country financially. <laughs> this isn't exactly the time that we want to be doing that. But it's all about his kingdom. And so even in finances, you see yourself going and growing and your faith changes and it looks different. This was crazy to me back in the day. But now this is becoming the norm. Where are you in that? Faith is going to start to reflect the one that it's in. And when it reflects his kingdom, it's going to get crazy. Does anything look crazy in your life? Sometimes crazy is to the glory of God. Make someone question your decision once in a while. If you're going to follow him, there's going to be some questionable stuff he asks you to do. And it's going to be awesome. Verse 39. And all these, so all of those Old Testament saints, heroes of the faith, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. The next thing we see is they had an unconditional faith. Now, New Testament, we're talking about our faith in Jesus. Theirs was in God, but we're going to see here by the end of this that they had an understanding of the Messiah. But for us, the unconditional faith is in Jesus. So, God speaks to these people, tells them about promises, 
And some of them saw parts of the promises, but again, not all of the promise. Like Abraham, he was promised land. He was promised uh, that he would have a son, even though they were barren. He was promised that they would have a, a nation that would be, all these things. He saw a son being born. He saw some of this start to happen, but he wasn't hanging out in the promised land. No, they still had 400 years in slavery. He still had a long time before the, Egypt, before the Israelites came out of Egypt into the promised land. And then for each one of these people, they saw a part of it a lot of times, but they didn't see the whole thing. And, and the beautiful thing is that their faith was not dependent on seeing it all on earth for two reasons. Number one, because they had their mind on the resurrection of the dead. This has been a theme throughout all of it. That they, had, they were looking towards the Messiah and end times. And even Abraham, who had these promises that were all earthly, looked like American dream promises. And remember, he was going to sacrifice his son. And it says, what was, why was he going to sacrifice his son? The author of Hebrews tells us because he had faith in the resurrection of the dead, not that God was going to bail him out at the last second and say, don't do it. But these people started to see the spiritual side. They started to see resurrection and that their life was so much more than what they saw on earth. So they had that in mind. They had a future perspective in mind. But also because as God promised them and they started walking by faith, they started to see God in a way that started to overwhelm their focus on the promise he gave them. He gave them. So they saw enough of God <laughs> to get caught up in God and not so caught up in just the promise. And that's not an excuse. That's not saying, well, that sounds like a good excuse for a God who doesn't come through. No, we see the whole history here. We saw God came through. But he didn't just say, hey, I got a promise, and boom, give it to him immediately. It was an instant gratification. And they found out through the journey that, man, what was better than the promise was God and a relationship with him. Promise is awesome, and it's coming, but it's God. And doesn't it say, oh, man, isn't it awesome when it says he commended them? In the Greek, it says he approved of them, or that he was impressed with them, very impressed. What is that? Like, that's, that's how God feels about them? God, God approved them? God was very impressed with them? You think about all the things floating around in our minds tonight about what's going to impress God that we do with our lives. Man, if I just, if I just get it together, if, I'm just, if I can just be Little, little more holy in this area. Man, you can please God in a lot of ways. Certainly holy living. Man, he wants you to be righteous as we are conformed to the image of Christ. But you can overthink this so much and drive yourself nuts. You want to know what God approves of. It's people who walk in faith in Jesus. And as you know, you could come through these doors. You could fill up the pews or the chairs. You can do what looks like a good Christian should do all day long. And God says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. If you don't have faith, you say, well, I used to have faith. No, are you walking by faith today? That's what I want. Well, I, I still tell stories about my faith when I was a kid or when I, you know, no, faith today. And that's what he commends them for. Gosh, so easy to overthink it. We've all heard of unconditional love. So most of us understand what that is, that our love for someone or something is not conditional on the circumstances or things around it. But in the same way, God wants us to have an unconditional faith. You see, he doesn't want, want to say to them, hey, I got promises for you, and if in 2.5 years you don't see those promises come to fulfillment, I want you to fight me on it. 
I want, I want you to struggle. I want you to back off because you know how we get, especially in our culture, the instant gratification thing. If we don't see, if we don't see fruit, you know how often. Man, I, I'm, I was pretty sure I told cross-training people and I told my grow group that I was pretty sure God was telling me to do something. And that was three weeks ago. And I kind of, I stopped doing it about two and a half weeks ago because I just didn't see, I didn't see fruit. I mean, I was going to talk to that person at work about my faith. And I, I guess I kind of thought they were going to get saved on the spot and it didn't happen. And so I, I, haven't, I haven't talked to them in two and a half weeks. And I was like, why you don't, he told you to keep talking, keep walking. No, I just didn't see fruit. These old boys, Abraham didn't see 20 years pass before this baby comes. And it wasn't like he was going from age 15 to 35 and she was still, hey, I could have children at any time. No, she was barren. If there's any reason to lose hope, they should have lost hope. But their faith was unconditional. It was unconditional. What conditions do you put up? When God tells you to do something, you know you need, you need faith to do this. It's going to be a step. What conditions do you put up? I already told you, for us, it's been, for me, probably more than Tara, but I grew up in self-sufficient, entrepreneurial land. In my mind, I was an entrepreneur. And, and so when I had that small business in Hutchinson and I'd bought a house and I was only 21 and I'm starting to think, okay, I'm making a life. This is American dream stuff. This is great. And then I get saved and I start to realize, man, I, I got to give all of my life to God. For a young entrepreneur, giving financially, was, I mean, it's just, man, especially since I didn't grow up in any kind of religious household, that was unheard of to me. But I remember, I remember very clearly, and I've shared this story before, but I'll share it um, briefly again. I remember very clearly when God was calling us to go to seminary and to move to Virginia, and we lived here in Salina six, seven years ago. And in our minds, in my mind, I had told God, you know, we're in debt. Tara and I had been married maybe a, a year. We had all the student loan debt. And I just read an article about this guy who said he went to seminary and then he wanted to be a missionary to Africa. And he said that in seminary, he, he just was hit upside the head with the thought that like, why would I get into a bunch of student loan debt to go to seminary when God wants me to move to Africa to be a missionary afterwards? And I can't pay back my student loan to go to seminary to go to Africa. And so he worked really hard, saved up all the money, then went to seminary. And I had that in my mind. So I told God, okay, if you really want us to go to Virginia... We'll pay off our debt, and we were making chunks. I think we paid like 30000 in the first year. And we were making monster progress. And then we can save up the money to go out there. We'll do it. And Tara had on her contract at the hospital as a nurse, they would pay off all her student loan debt in three years. They paid off a certain amount each month if she stayed there for three years. Well, we're two years in. And so if we leave before that three years, we've got to pay back all of that in full the day we leave. So there's a, financially, there was a lot going on. And we told God, I told God, we'll go in a year. That sounds like a good plan. Started telling everyone, very honorable, we're going to go to seminary, it's going to be great. So I think it's going to be about a year, you know, we'll get things settled financially. And that night when we were praying, Tara and I, we were praying, it was close to midnight, I'll never forget, we were laying there, and, and the lights were off, and we were just talking to God, and I remember very clearly as she started saying, um, you know, God, if you want us to go out there, 
now, even if it means that we're in a financial mess, like that we would have the faith to do so. And we prayed a lot that night about different things. It wasn't like a 50-minute prayer, but it was more than just the financial stuff. And afterwards, it was quiet, and we finally broke the silence and said to one another, you sense God saying something right now? Yeah. What? That's that financial thing. Like that was just a one, two-sentence thing in that prayer, but it stuck out to both of us. And we knew immediately. She, she, she just cried afterwards for quite a long time. We knew immediately God was saying, you get up and you go. If I say go, and you're going to take a step financially, you got to take a step of faith, do it right now. It was as good as done for us. We got up. We didn't have to talk about the details the next morning and how it was all going to work. We just did it. And it worked out financially. And we paid for all of it without taking out any student loans. And we paid back the hospital, and it looked really grim, and it was crazy, and I could tell you all the different things, but God provided, and it was exactly what he wanted to do, and he grew our faith like crazy in the midst of it. And we came out on the other end better off than we thought we would have if we would have done it according to our own plan. What conditions are you putting up for God? What's your what-ifs? Well, I feel like for a long time God's been asking me to do this, but what if? Right behind your what-ifs are a bunch of conditions. What are your conditions? Because he doesn't want. He commended them because of their faith. Not their conditional faith, their unconditional faith. He doesn't want a people that's just making up excuses. He wants a group of people so in awe of his glory, bowing down in worship, saying, what more can we give? Let's give it all. There's nothing in us and in our lives that is not worth giving up for the sake of Christ. Yet you find yourself stagnant, and when you find yourself stagnant, you'll find there's a bunch of conditions holding you down. Something made you stop moving. So how? How do you get an unconditional faith? Well, just like you get an unconditional love, you choose to love. You fall in love. You love obedience to God more than the conditions you put around walking in faith. You love God in the same way. In the same way in faith, when you start actually taking steps of faith, no matter how small they might be in your mind, you'll start to see God show up. I remember when I was a new believer and I was blown away in my little house in Hutchinson. I would read the Bible. I remember just uh, Friday, Saturday nights, I remember people out doing their thing and I would just read that Bible and I would listen and I'd say, okay, I'm just gonna do this. I started in the Gospel of Matthew and I would read the words of Jesus and then I'd say, okay, God, how, how can I do this? And I would just do it. And I remember like blown away. I remember even being in my house and feeling the presence of God by myself, just like, oh my gosh, like I just, I just took a step of faith today. Like he, God showed himself. I'll tell you what, I was not consumed or concerned with any promises after that. When I started walking by faith, I got so caught up in the presence of God, seeing that he was real. All of a sudden I shifted from what can I get out of this to, oh my gosh, I'm blown away right now. That's what happens. You want an unconditional love, you want an unconditional faith, you get blown away by God you don't get blown away by God sitting on your seat. You can get blown away when you start taking a step of faith and you see his power come through. His power isn't going to come through when you're sitting there doing the things we've always done by the strength we've always done it with. 
His power comes through when you know, I can't do this alone, and I believe this is for his kingdom, and I've got to take a step, and if he doesn't show up, it's going to fail, and it's going to look stupid. Naturally, guess where you see the power? And it's not just thinking about it, it's the actual step. Last but not least, verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, this may not make sense, but it will shortly. Last thing we see is that we have a faith that points to Jesus. We have a faith that points to Jesus. So the better for us part, uh, that's referring to the Messiah, to, uh, to end times and the plan, the future. So this is, this is something better because remember the verse prior said they had not seen the promises since God had provided something better. If I was, um, man, if I was a name it or claim it kind of guy, if I was a prosperity gospel guy, this is when I would tell you that God's always going to give you something better than the promises and then I'd preach it for a bunch. Of, anyway, so they had these promises. They didn't see these promises because then it says God had provided something better. And remember, as we walked through each one of these stories over the last two months, you saw these people and their eyes started to look towards the Messiah, started to look towards uh, something far better than what was promised to them on earth. And that's God himself and his glory. And so that's what better for us means. But apart from us, apart from us, what in the world does that mean? doesn't mean that these Old Testament saints were waiting for the church here. Remember, this is written in the first century. wasn't waiting for them so that they could be saved or that these people somehow saved them. But it connects these saints with the current church. It shows God's plan, his redemptive plan throughout all history, that even these saints, they were waiting. They were waiting for this Messiah. And that they were then being made perfect, that these saints, when they died and they see Christ, they see God in his glory, they still rejoice when Jesus leaves heaven, comes to earth, lives a perfect, di- lives a perfect life, dies a sacrificial death, and then raises again to be ascended into heaven. Like they, the saints still enjoy that. Like it still means something to them. Now for some, you've got to be careful theologically. This, is, th- this verse can make people think um, that maybe the saints, they had, they had like a ridiculous amount of hope for Jesus coming to earth and then dying and being resurrected because they, even though they had died, they weren't yet in heaven. Some, some would say that. So Roman Catholic theology, much of it, um, even in the Protestant faith, you'll see uh, some Lutherans uh, have this theology. And it comes from a couple different passages about Jesus descending to hell during that three-day period in his death. And it also comes from um, Matthew and uh, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, that Jesus has the keys to the gates of Hades. And so people think maybe these Old Testament saints, like when they died, they didn't go straight to heaven, but they were in some kind of a holding cell. Okay, Some of you have heard about purgatory, soul sleep stuff for New Testament believers, even though that's not true. Um, there are some who hold to this, but let me just say this, that 
In, in the Old Testament, the idea of hell and heaven, it was progressive revelation, God telling us, showing us about this. It wasn't like Abraham was given all of this revelation, like, man, here's heaven and hell, and this is exactly how it works, and one day there's going to be a Messiah. No, God gave a little bit at a time. You start to see in the Psalms, you'll see this Hebrew word sheol all the time. It just means the pit, the grave, the darkness. And this understanding of there's a hell, there's this afterlife, there's a heaven and a hell. And, and so one word that you see used, and it's used in two different ways, is the word Hades. And so Hades, some have, have viewed it as, well, it's not hell, even though one of the two ways that it's used is in reference to fire, Hades. Um, but it's not straight out just said, hey, it's hell. So some have thought, well, maybe Hades is like this separate place. And Jesus unlocked it when he died, and then all the saints went up to heaven. And so now we all just go to heaven too. But we have to be careful because we see throughout all of the Old Testament, we don't see we don't see evidence of them going to some holding cell, okay? We see them going to be with Christ. We see everything from Lazarus and the rich man, and they're an obvious chasm, one of them in glory. We, we see um, story after story, everything from David's son dying as a baby and being with him in glory. We see all of these stories pointing to people actually being Enoch. He was taken up where? To Hades? No, he was taken up to be in the glory of God. So we see them being with the Father. So that's just a side note theological point um, some would make because they would say, man, what? Sounds like these Old Testament saints are waiting for the early church because when Jesus did his thing on earth and died, that, that meant they could go to heaven too. I imagine they were rejoicing like crazy. They knew he ascended, he came, descended, and then ascended. But um, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Theologically, we have no proof that these saints were sitting there like we're in Hades, waiting for Jesus to do his thing so we can go up to heaven. They were they were in heaven, um, but they rejoiced and were excited. I'm sure at what it meant for all of humanity. So. Hopefully that makes that a little more understandable. Let me say this as we start to wrap this up. These old boys had a legacy of faith. They had a legacy of faith that wasn't just a general faith. But every single one of them has the same common theme somewhere in their story that even though many of them were promised something from God, in the midst of the journey, they saw a Messiah coming to save the people of Israel. And they got caught up in the Messiah and the personal relationship they were developing with God. And the journey showed them that the presence of God, the glory of the future and being in heaven and the resurrection and, and all that, that was what got them excited. And their hearts and their faith and their focus changed from promises on earth to something spiritual that is far better. Faith has a good reputation in our culture. People think of faith, they think good. Faith is only good if it's in the right thing. If it's in the right person. And I don't know about you, but I want to have a legacy that points to Christ. I'll share this last story. When Tara and I were in Memphis, we did um, what most tourists to Memphis do. We went to the Martin Luther King Civil Rights, National Civil Rights Museum. 
and Martin Luther King Jr. And it, it was awesome. It was incredible. Some of you might know um, he was shot there, killed in the Lorraine Hotel. And they have this museum that has where the sniper was across the street. And the museum itself is in the hotel. And um, they had ripped everything, mostly everything out of it and made this, this big museum. Well, we showed up and this place is just packed. And I get uncomfortable in social stuff. Like, I do not want to, I don't mind roaming around and reading all this. And then just, man, it's awesome. It's great. But I, I don't want to be just packed in with people. And there were signs saying, you're going to be packed in with people. They said, every 20 minutes, another 120 people are going to come in. And they say, it's going to get really crowded and packed. And as we were purchasing our tickets, um, they said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go through this room. You're going to start there. You're going to go through this. You got to see a movie, and then you'll go through this, blah, blah, blah. And they laid it out, and I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm doing my own thing. And um, I got an amazingly submissive heart. And so Tara and I went. We kind of followed the first th- couple things. And, and, um, and again, it's packed full of people. And the gal came out and said, the movie's about to start. Everyone needs to be in and going to see this movie because you can't go see the rest of this huge museum if you don't see the movie. And I'm like, don't, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> don't tell me what to do. So we missed it. Tara and I just stood there, and I tried to walk back out, and they said, no, you, sir, you can't. You've got to see the movie if you want to see the rest of this. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. I'm getting kind of fired up under my skin. I was like, all right, fine. I'm starting to kind of sweat a little bit because I just don't like people like telling me what and hurting me and, and, they're, and it's packed and I was just like, I just want to do my own thing at my own pace. And so now we're waiting again and it's a 10 minute movie, but we've already been there for 20 minutes and we're waiting again and it says seven more minutes. I go to the bathroom, come back out. They started the movie at the four minute left point and Tara's like, we missed it again. We waited 45 minutes to watch this 10 minute movie and, and we're getting fired up and we're talking about our life and our decisions and how we're like, what are we going to do? This is ridiculous. And and uh, so uncomfortable, and I said, okay, well, we'll watch this movie. I don't want to go home. Like, we're going to watch this stupid movie, and we did, and it was a good movie, and we walked for another hour and a half through the maze of this as it goes back and talks about slavery and then all of the different aspects of the civil rights movement and everything, just like we thought it would. But we, coming into this, wanted to do it at our pace, and we wanted to see things as we wanted to see them. They forced us in this to do it their way, but by the end of it, it all led up to the room Martin Luther King Jr. was staying in. And it ended with us walking close by and seeing right outside the glass where he stood as he died. And the power of the story was magnified because it pointed us to his death at the end. And when you were done, you recognized why they had you do it that way. Because it would have not done it justice if you would have just roamed and done your own thing. Every story of faith in the church needs to be a story that cannot be explained without the death and resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Every story of faith needs to be pointing an unbelieving world to this beautiful truth of the gospel. That our lives need to be unexplainable without telling someone. Like we've got to be able to tell someone... <laughs> I know you think I'm crazy, but it's because he died and rose again, and there's power, and he's telling me what to do, and I'm doing it, and the kingdom is expanding. We have to be able to walk in such a way that it can only be explained by the gospel. And if you find that your faith is explained by your own strength, by the way you've always done things, by the same 
simple ways, you've always walked in faith. I'm telling you what, God, there's more glory for him to have, have had in your life, and he wants it. And his faith will always build on itself when you start walking and walking and walking. I'm telling you tonight, you walk by faith a little bit, and faith builds on faith. And there will always, for every single one of us, be a bigger step, a next step, a, a place that takes us from self-centered to kingdom-centered. It will always move us in that direction. It'll always look crazier than it did last year. It'll always be one more step. You'll never get to the place where you're so comfortable with walking by faith. Faith will always be faith. It'll always be faith. And if you don't experience today the same kind of heart-wrenching, I'm going to step off of this faith that you felt the first time you placed your faith in Jesus, you're not walking by faith in Jesus anymore. If your faith today doesn't make you abide in him because you got to hear his voice to know the next step, but you can just do this on your own kind of thing, that's not a gospel-centered faith. And you've been deceived. I don't know what the step is for you. But I know a gospel-centered faith is going to make you on fire for Jesus Christ. And it's going to be a freedom and a blessing that you never could have experienced any other way. So let's take that step. Let's pray.